Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of the Wolves Den. I hope everyone is having a great Memorial Day. First off, um, as I'll say, I want to thank my cousins if you're out there listening for hosting me yesterday because that was a great time. But this week, oh no, 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 I'm not alone. And that's because we did like to shake things up here at the Wolves Den already in episode two. And that is the Wolves Den podcast has their first guest ever. I've been look hooking you all week with who it potentially could be. It's definitely not who you would expect. So here's the formal intro that I wrote down. Here we go. This man works for Stafford Motor Speedway with video production. He is a current QU sports journalism grad student. And he's also an announcer for the iRacing series they do. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan the host of the Wolf's Den, is introducing Mr. Bonsa Tufa. Yeah, come on down. Bonsa, thank you for being on this week, man. Wow. Quite an honor to have that type of introduction. I wish I was introduced like that every single time. Hey, man, I do, I'm going to do this for everyone. The point is to bring energy and bring smiles during this time. That's the whole point of the podcast, essentially. It's like the nitty-gritty of it. So this week, Bonsa, are you ready to discuss some WWE, NASCAR, and other stuff that we've seen? Because it's been a heavy news week, surprisingly. I think mm, that's, an under, that's an understatement, but yeah, I'm ready. All right, here we go. So first, ladies and gentlemen, what are we going to do? We're going to discuss this week's Friday Night Smackdown. Not the whole thing, just a couple of things I saw, and I want to get Bonsa's take on it too. So the first thing we're going to do is going distru- um, to discuss, excuse me, the Braun Strowman versus Miz Friday Night Smackdown match. Now, the Miz is in a tag team with John Morrison, right? They had a whole introduction and promo in the beginning, and then – essentially it turned into John Morrison saying, oh, you can't really beat The Miz in a match. Braun Strowman's like, I'm the champ. Yes, I can. Challenge accepted. Let's go. So basically the highlights of this match were Morrison tries to be a distraction. Strowman hits the running power slam, which is his finishing maneuver, and he wins via pinfall. But after the match, that's where the highlights really are. As Morrison, kind of being a sore loser, challenges Strowman to a handicap match at Backlash. Braun Strowman accepts. So now it's a handicap match. Miz and Morrison, Johnny Drip Drip, and MCMIZ. Yes, those are the rap names for them. Versus. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting, man. I, I don't know how to think about that. But what I do think is that these guys are bad guys. Essentially, what the segment was, was the dirt sheet. So that, the dirt sheet essentially is like a talk show where they make fun of other bad guy, other good guy wrestlers. That's what they should do. I love it. A lot of fun. But Bonsa. What do you think about a handicap match for Braun Strowman? Because I got some thoughts on it, but you're the guest. I'm a nice guy. I'm the host. You go first. Uh, a hunch tells me, like, is there any doubt who's probably going to win? No. Like, there, there, that, 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 no. like I, I, I'm pretty sure Braun Strowman's going to win. It's, I, I doubt that they're going to have – Morrison Miz go over to Braun Strowman. That's just not going to happen. I mean, on paper, it may seem good, and hopefully they make the match look convincing. That's the big thing. Can you make it look like, wow, they actually have a chance at beating Braun Strowman? Can you make it look like that? Right. So, I mean, it's typical heel work. I wouldn't be surprised. I hope they do some heel work at Backlash. That's what they're supposed to do. So, you know, get some – when there's a handicap match, Miz and Morrison, do they have to tag each other in? I believe so. I believe that's the okay. rules. That's what WWE probably won't happen. Go by. Right. That probably won't happen. So I'm just hoping – I'm pretty sure Braun Strowman's going to win, but I'm hoping that they at least make it look like he's somewhat mortal because otherwise it's just – everyone's going to think Braun Strowman's going to win. That, that, right. that just seems like a common thought, I would figure. 
to right exactly I'm, I'm gonna go on the same lines with you here bonza essentially this is like a filler this is wwe's way of saying we don't really know what to do right now so we're gonna just gonna put two established guys that we think can wrestle braun Strowman pretty well and the Miz and John Morrison and make them and make this a match at backlash, which is the leading pay-per-view up to the real pay-per-view, which is SummerSlam. What here's what I want to see. This doesn't make sense because they're a tag team and I want them to go after the tag team titles. And I think they're really good at doing their part and being bad guy characters. I don't want them being involved with the universal singles championship. It makes no sense to me. I don't understand why they're the two that's chosen for this. I understand the concept. The concept I get. I don't get the execution part of it. But I want to see them lose, then The Fiend show himself at Backlash, attack Braun Strowman, then we lead into a SummerSlam match of The Fiend between Braun Strowman. That's what this is probably going to lead to. That's what I want. I don't like what the match is at Backlash. Yeah, it's just Miz and Morrison just lost their tag team titles not that long ago, and all of a sudden now they're taking out the tag team picture. And Miz is probably one of the best heels in WWE in the past decade. Absolutely. I mean, that dude, he can talk, he can perform. He works best as a heel. And I think John Morrison works best as a heel, too. I remember him from back in the M&M days, Mercury, Nitro, and Molina, when they're a heel tag team. Yeah. So I think that they both work best as heels, and they need to stay in that tag team division because – I guess. I mean, the way you say it, yeah, it'd be some way to start a rivalry between The Fiend and Braun Strowman. I feel like The Fiend has been very much mistreated in terms of how he's booked. No, like, for sure. He, for sure. He deserves better, and he's always deserved better. Bray Wyatt has deserved better for the past three years. But if it's that way, I guess it works. Otherwise, it just seems like there's no real story to the match. Right. It's just essentially two guys thinking they can beat one big guy. That's literally what that is. It's David versus Goliath. We've seen it so many times over and over and over again. So it'll be interesting to see what WWE does. Maybe there's a twist. It wouldn't really make sense if there is a twist. Braun Strowman should win. That's where we should go in the direction. We should give The Fiend as many titles as he wants because I think he deserves it for the character work that we've seen. So, oh, my gosh. We'll his, character, his character is one of the best ideas WWE's come up with. The Firefly Funhouse and The Fiend character, That that is one of the highlights of WWE in the past year. I a thousand percent agree with you. I think the whole Goldberg thing at WrestleMania was so just uh, preposterous, egregious, so many big words I can think of, but I'm, I'm, I could curse too, but we're not going to curse them here. I'm professional. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So now we'll move on to match two on SmackDown, which is a match I really, really enjoyed. And I think stole the entire show. And it was, for the vacated Intercontinental Championship Tournament first-round match, because why was it vacated? The champion, Sami Zayn, was unable to compete, and I think rumors are he just doesn't want to compete because he feels it's unsafe due to the real-world situation. I have a massive mm-hmm. respect for that. So the match was a really a treat, which was AJ Styles. And let's preface this, because for the hardcore fans who are listening to this out here, AJ Styles was on Raw as a bad guy, but then... Michael Cole just had the most casual drop of an announcement on SmackDown I've ever seen and basically said, AJ Styles has been traded for future considerations. So he's been traded. Yeah, that's so weird. I don't like that in some regards. It's weird. What's the the point of brand exclusivity if you're just going to have that? Right, right. So he just traded to SmackDown, and he has to face Shinsuke Nakamura in their first-round match for the vacated – Intercontinental Championship. So this is what happened in the match. So we basically saw moves. We saw moves we should have saw in the WrestleMania match. As the Styles Clash, which AJ Styles uses in very important matches in big-time situations. And 
I haven't seen Shinsuke Nakamura hit this in a long time, but we saw the Mishinoku driver, which is essentially the Dream Valley driver, which is what Velveteen Dream uses in NXT. Then how, how the match happened ended with Styles hit the phenomenal forearm and he won via pinfall and he will advance to the second round to take on Elias. So basically, Vonsa, before you go, I just want to say that this match to me was just as good, if not a little bit better than a WrestleMania match. Doesn't surprise me. Like AJ Styles, there's no every wrestling fan knows AJ Styles is one of the best there is, not just in WWE, but in all of wrestling. I mean he's been like that since he was back in TNA. So AJ Styles doesn't surprise me. He knows how to put on a good show. He knows how to put people over. He knows how to make people look good. And Shinsuke Nakamura, he's been in WWE for how many years now? Like three years, four years? He's Maybe yeah. Less? So his, I remember his like hype up was some of the biggest hype up I've ever oh, seen. Oh yeah. It was oh, my massive God. deal. He came from China. He was one of the first Chinese superstars to sign with this company. He comes to the main roster and his first feud was against Dolph Ziggler on SmackDown Live. And then ever since then, ever since he won the Royal Rumble and ever since he turned heel WrestleMania, that was his peak, right? Against yeah. Edith, that was his peak. He's went downhill ever since. I don't know why. I don't know what WWE was thinking with that heel turn. Very mm-hmm. it shocked me. You didn't expect to see that. I and, and who did he turn heel on? AJ Styles. Yeah, yeah, it comes full circle. So I don't know if AJ Styles is on SmackDown now because he changed his old ring gear, too. It's no longer the OC. Guess what? It's his old, like, neon and black pants that say phenomenal one. Because Anderson Gallows got released because of the massive release. Right. So I don't know if they're turning him face. I don't know what they're doing with him. But what I do know is that he's in SmackDown. He's in Bruce Pritchard's hands. I'd rather him be in Paul Heyman's hands, to be honest with you, because Bruce <laughs> is the executive director of SmackDown. Yeah. So, so glitz and glam. But we'll see what happens. I'm glad he won. It made sense for him to win. If you're going to hype him up like that and say he's been traded and have him come down, he might as well win. But I just don't right. know how it's at Shinsuke's expense, because what do we do with him? Because Sami Zayn is not there. He was in that stable with him and Cesaro. Cesaro is just going up and down, left and sideways. So what do we do from there? Well, it's interesting to me because AJ Styles is a world-class wrestler. Is the IC championship kind of a demotion for him? I don't think so. And here's why. You don't think so? Okay. At this point of his career, I think it's his job to elevate his name and use it to help a platform for other superstars. He's done so many amazing things. And I think him with the IC title creates more dream matches than what we would see with the universal title, because that title is a curse. Let me tell you, the <laughs> the curse. we have injuries from Seth Rollins. We had injuries from Finn Balor. Kevin Owens said he hated actually holding the title in real life. That and Goldberg has held the title for Christ's sakes. So I just, whew, if that title has been a curse, I'd rather AJ hold that amazingly designed new intercontinental championship and see what he can do with it. If he's a face, yeah. He, he's so good at getting people behind him. If he's a heel, he's so good at being really annoying and cocky. So either yeah. way, I'm happy. The IC championship, I just feel like it doesn't have as much prestige as it used to. Right. But if there's a guy that can bring it back, it's probably AJ Styles. And remember, John Cena won the U.S. title some years ago, and he brought some prestige back to that championship with his open, his open championship matches and such. It right. made the U.S. Down. championship very important. And, so, and he had some good matches because of it. So – with AJ Styles, yeah, in that regard, I can see him bringing some prestige back to the IC Championship like a Chris Jericho would have or something like that because 
he can make it look good and he knows how to make wrestlers look good. I just wish they can make Shinsuke go over. I hated his heel turn. I hated it. That dude was so hype with the fans. So hype, especially with his original theme song with the violin stuff. Like he was so hyped up with the fans and I could not believe they made him turn heel. Yeah, I just, I think it's just, they tried to make an impact at a really big show and they tried to do the splash, and I thought it would work better than it actually has, but it really hasn't. It's just been meaningless. To be honest, it hasn't really let Shinsuke anywhere. I mean, it got him a couple Intercontinental Championship reigns that no one really talks about. Or remember, as right. a face, he literally comes in, he beats established superstars, he wins the Royal Rumble, and you don't see Vince go outside of his bubble superstars that win the Royal Rumble, but he took a gamble on Chio Shinsuke, and the fans paid him off. This year, he did it again with Drew McIntyre, and the fans paid it off. So, what I'm saying is sometimes it's okay to not just have Roman Reigns in the finals every single year. You can use other well, guys. Yeah. Well, like Roman Reigns, I feel like he's been booked better now than he was before. Like after he came back from his leukemia recovery, mm-hmm. he's definitely been booked better, but um, like he's not pushed on our throats. It's interesting though, because Shinsuke, when he turned heel, he did that low blow to AJ Styles. Who else turned heel like within the last couple of years by doing a low blow to AJ Styles? Ooh, Daniel Bryan. Yeah. That heel turn, that heel turn worked. Yes, in my it opinion, did. it did. I agree. They can make heel turns work, but what they did with Shinsuke just did not work. It did not go over. I love Daniel Bryan's gimmick, being the vegan dude, the vegan crazy man he was, and it worked. It drew reactions, such and I mean now he's face again, which is not a bad thing. I mean he, we know what he does as a face, so. It's just, can you make the heel turns work? And we saw similar ways how AJ Styles got betrayed by Daniel Bryan, Shinsuke Nakamura, but only one of those worked out in the end. That was Daniel Bryan. They did not book Shinsuke that well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I just want to bring up one last point. I think we're going to see less face and heel turns now. It's so much harder to do it without a crowd. Because WWE, for mm-hmm. those who don't know, have been holding shows every single week in their performance center in Orlando, Florida. And without that people being in a crowd, it's going to be so tough to get that reaction that you'd want of the classic heel and face turns that we've seen in wrestling. Whether it's Hulk Hogan's Bash at the Beach or WCW <sighs> with the NWO. If a crowd wasn't there, that would be the it most awkward thing I've ever mm-hmm. seen in my life. So mm-hmm. the report is, I just want to bring this up, I saw this today, that WWE is going to put NXT superstars in the crowd for Raw and SmackDown this week. So, well, that's kind of like what AEW does. They have some of the AEW guys in the locker room do the same thing, which I think is okay. It provides something. Right. It's fine, but I just don't think you can do a heel or face turn there either, unless you get an entertaining enough superstars that have the reaction that a fan would. But Unless we'll you have the big show, because the big show turns heel all the time, and yeah. then face, and then heel. Right. <laughs> he is like a revolving door and literally a domino <laughs> chain effect. And I did not like his role at WrestleMania with Drew McIntyre. <laughs> that made no sense to me. I don't understand yeah. what the point of that was. Oh, he beat Brock Lesnar and Big Show on the same night. Okay, we're talking about Big Show, who's about 39 years old. And yes, he's in phenomenal shape. And I commend him for getting motivated and getting in shape in this time of his life. But it's really not that big of a win if you think about it because Big Show's not a full-time wrestler. So, Dude, imagine if he won that night, though, and we didn't know until the next day. And imagine the outrage it would cause if they found out that Drew McIntyre actually lost the title after he won against Lesnar because of an impromptu match by Big Show. Imagine the reaction. Oh, it would be ridiculous because <laughs> let's remember that Vince McMahon declared this man, Drew McIntyre, as the chosen one. 
And to yeah. have the man that you once saw as your chosen one and screw him in the script in that sort of way would be quite ironic and quite depressing for me because I love Drew McIntyre. So uh, Hello, Daniel Bryan, when he got cashed in by Randy Orton. Yeah, that was bad too. Um, but honestly, <laughs> I, don't, I honestly didn't mind that as much. I mean, I didn't hate that as much as the words I'm looking for because Randy, that whole thing with him and Triple H, I actually liked it. Was, they did a nice job. I think so. So it was a good, the whole authority thing kind of played itself out, but uh, it, it was nice. Mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about SmackDown, Bonsa, and you did, those were some awesome takes and we were on the same page. So now we're going to talk about something that WWE has tried to emulate from ESPN. And as we know, the ESPN did the last dance. The WWE and, and one of the greatest superstars of all time, in my opinion, the second best, because I feel like it's Ric Flair, they did something called The Undertaker's Last Ride. It's a five-part documentary series. The last couple of weeks, we've seen episodes two and three. Bonsa and I are going to talk about this really, really, really quick. So episode two, basically all I have in parentheses here in my notes is the, under, the whole premise of it is The Undertaker was so annoyed with the Roman Reigns match, because now the whole point of The Undertaker, right? We're seeing him outside the ring. We're seeing him as this genuine and humble person instead of being the stoic character that we've been so used to seeing inside the ring and taking souls. We haven't seen that emotion from him, and now we get to see it, and I think it's awesome. So episode two essentially is being annoyed with the Roman Reigns match, that he feels bad that he wants to be the guy that puts superstars over. He wants to use his name to do that. And he doesn't want to be a parody of himself because once he feels like he's that, then he doesn't want to wrestle anymore. That's his whole thing. So he wants to come back and prove himself to the fans again, that he still got it. So the whole episode was what you saw his training methods were. And he trained with actually Primo of all people. Yeah. Who would have thought? Right. And his leading up to his next WrestleMania match against John Cena. So Bonsa, what did you think about episode two? It's really interesting. It's just in- that documentary works best with Undertaker because he is so mystical right. in the ring, but out the ring too, because he's a very private guy that no one knows about, especially he does a good job of keep- keeping kayfabe for the most oh, part. Yeah, so sure. like seeing the Undertaker as Mark Calloway, the person, it's really interesting. And there's been talks for the last several years about when he's going to retire because he is up there in age. I think he's still got it, but, I mean, he's definitely not as mobile as he was 15 years ago when he'd be facing off against, you know, guys like Randy Orton, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and whatnot. But that second episode, it was really interesting to see how committed, what he learned, even at the age of 50 or however old, however old he is, right. that he was still learning and still trying to make himself better, even though he's been the company for 30 years. You would think after 30 years, you, you know everything. But he realized that he still has a lot to learn. To see what he did to get better, seeing the surgery that he took to make his hip painless finally. And I remember that match against John Cena. Like, he looked damn good. It was a short match, which bummed me out a bit. Yep. But he looked damn good, especially since he had lost two of his previous three WrestleMania matches with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns beating Bray Wyatt in the middle. So it was just – it was really cool. And – I love Michelle McCool, just out, just on the side. Like, I think she's one of my favorite um, female wrestlers of all time. I love Michelle McCool when she was a teacher, she had the teacher gimmick. And then with Lay Cool, with Layla, I love Layla as well. She's, like, I think very underrated. Sure. But it's really cool to see those two. You know, obviously, they've been married for some time. And you see them work together. Like, not just working out, but, like, they will take bumps off of each other and such like that. And it's just all to help The Undertaker be better. 
also Michelle McCool had that one Royal Rumble appearance too. So um, Michelle McCool was getting ready for that. But overall, really, really good production. And it's just, it, it gives another light to The Undertaker that I think makes him look even better than he already is because he is one of the most respected people, if not the most respected person in WWE. Uh, there's no, he's the leader. But this just brings another light and perspective to him that makes him look even better. I, I mean, I thousand percent agree with you, man. I, I, there's nothing I could have said there that you didn't already just say. So episode two, essentially, like what I said, he, you, you're seeing his process, his mind, right? You're seeing what he thinks and what he wants to do against John Cena. Now, I agree with you that I felt like it should have gotten more time, but still the match was amazing and, and The Undertaker reestablished himself for sure. So now we'll move into episode three, where we learn even more, and we go even more in-depth. And we see that Taker is satisfied with the John Cena match, and now we're seeing, after that, him just going free-for-all. He's going match after match after match. 2018 was a really big year for him, actually, and I'll go over the matches real quick. He had a greatest Royal Rumble casket match in Saudi Arabia against Rusev. He had his last, he believes, his last match in the Garden I think against Kevin Owens, I believe. I forget who. It was a, it was a six-man tag team. Six-man tag, okay. He had Super Showdown Australia in 2018 against Triple H. And then we lead up to the train wreck that I'd like to call the John Michaels coming out of retirement to have a match of D-Generation X of him, Triple mm-hmm. H, and Shawn Michaels against the Brothers of Destruction in Kane and The Undertaker. So episode three, mm. I didn't pay as much attention to it as episode two. I personally felt episode two was a little bit better, but what did you think of episode three? I was hyped for episode three when I saw the preview from the end of episode two because I wanted to see what that D- DX versus uh, Brothers of Destruction match was like for those guys. Um, but yeah, 2018 was a hell of a year for The Undertaker, and it was overall a positive year. And yeah, that I was waiting for that to that tag team match. Really shocked that Shawn Michaels came out of retirement when I first heard about this match. I was, I thought he was done. He hadn't been wrestling for eight years at that point. Like I thought he's not coming back. That dude had a memorable match against the Undertaker to end off his career. Before we talk about the tag team match, they talked about the four years of WrestleMania matches between mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels in 09 and ten, and then Triple H eleven and twelve. Wow. I love good storytelling in WWE. That was good storytelling because you had the darkness versus the light in 2009. Obviously, Shawn Michaels, born again, Christian versus Undertaker, the the dead man, the man of Satan, character wise. Yep. Classic. Oh, my gosh. What a match. I mean, the spots and everything that happened in that match were incredible. 2010, streak versus career. A new, a new story developed off of the fact that Shawn Michaels was so stubborn about his loss in 2009, and that played out really well. Another, I think that match was better in 2009. That's my opinion. I think the second wow. match was better than the first match. Mm-hmm. Um, so that match was incredible. And then Triple H in 2011, avenging his best friend, Shawn Michaels, after he got his career ended. Lost to The Undertaker, but in some ways won because The Undertaker could not walk, off, walk out of the ring after that match. He had to be carried off. Yeah, the Undertaker could good. not let that go. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a brutal match. And, of course, end of an era, Hell in a Cell. 
Shawn Michaels as guest referee. Oh my gosh. I love that match. I loved it. The story was just so, so good. Undertaker starting the match. He was just pumped. He was off to a great start. He was, he was ready for some revenge. And then Shawn Michaels would try and chime in and break them up. Undertaker would push him aside. Shawn wanted to do something, but he knew he had to stay down the middle. Triple H was just hammering the Undertaker, hammering, hammering, telling Shawn, end it or I will end it. Undertaker puts Shawn to Hell's Gate. Triple H breaks up with the sledgehammer. Shawn Michaels switching music. Triple H pedigree. You think that's it. That is it. That is the end of the streak. And somehow they kicked out. That emotional roller coaster within like 10 seconds. Holy cow. It, you can't do anything like that. And then in the end, when The Undertaker won, and you had Triple H and Taker and Michaels together at the end, up on the ramp, arm in arm, that is one of the coolest things you will ever see in WWE. One of the coolest things. But it just those four matches were so historic, and some of the best long-term storytelling I've seen. Some of the best long-term storytelling I've seen since the maybe Evolution. And so, when Undertaker now now we can push forward, but like. That part of the episode I thought was just so awesome to see because those guys, those three guys have such trust in each other to put on a good show that there's just no stress for them. They have such good chemistry. And that chemistry goes back way back in the 90s. They faced each other years and years ago, and they still put on classic matches back then. And that didn't change in WrestleMania in 2009 or 2012. But now they're so much older. And Undertaker, I mean, these guys point out, Undertaker wrestles a few times a year. Triple H wrestles once every couple years these days Shawn michaels hasn't wrestled in eight years <laughs> and then kane is a mayor <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't wrestle as much either yep so like, the- i love all four of them i love all four they're those are four of the best in my opinion in the last two decades of wwe mm-hmm. but i remember i didn't watch the match live i saw bits and pieces of it on social media I don't think the match would have been as bad if Triple H didn't tear his damn peck. Yeah, that's a big part of the match. I just felt, I don't know why, I understand financially why they had the match, because they're going to, I believe it was Saudi Arabia or Australia. And you, it was Saudi Arabia. It was Saudi, okay. So going there, they want to put marquee names that the whole world would know. And that's four of them, especially, especially Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement for it. But the execution of the match... At this stage of their, all four of their career injuries and old age really catch up with you, especially in wrestling, and it just could not have gone more wrong. I do feel bad, but I just don't know if that's the match you really come out for if you're Shawn Michaels. I don't know if you really need to prove yourself any more than you already have. But what you, you explained all of that beautifully. You explained the legacy and everything of that beautifully, and I just feel so bad about Triple H tearing his pec because that worries me because – he has a big role in the company and I don't know how much of more you really want him going in the ring at this point. So, yeah. And that match DX versus the brothers of destruction, probably a classic when DX reunited in 2006, probably would have been amazing. Yes. But mm -hmm. because Undertaker was at peak, basically peak performance in 2006, Triple H and Shawn Michaels definitely still got it. Kane was still pretty damn good. Like, all four were legit top contenders in WWE in 2006. Then that would have been a hell of a match. But now here we are at that time, 12 years later, they are way past their prime. And there was one point in the match where Triple H is trying to do an Irish whip to Kane 
off the steel steps, but it looks so bad because Triple H cannot put any weight on his arm because of his torn pec, and Kane is trying so hard to sell it, but you can't sell it. It's, it just – Michael Cole tried, but it couldn't be done. So uh, Michael Cole, um, great with big moments, right? Um, also, Kane – Not great as a heel. No, I don't, I don't ever want to see that again. I, I, I think I'm saving everybody's eyes for seeing that again. Um, oh, boy. So Kane's mask also fell off his oh. face, and now we got to see old 2003 Kane without actually supposed to see 2003 Kane. So he still has I that. Don't understand. I don't understand. Like, like Rey Mysterio is different because he turned, he put his mask back on when he came from WCW WWE, but never turned t- never took the mask off after that. Kane took his mask off in 2003. At that point, I think never put the mask on again. We know what you look like, blah blah blah. Unless unless you put in a storyline that Kane got put on fire or something like that. Okay, but that never happened. He just returned one random time in like 2011 with a mask on. Yep. It's just like why? Like what happened? Did he? Did he burn his face again or something like that? Or did Undertaker <laughs> burn his face again? Like, it, it didn't make sense to me. So, yeah. But in the end, it sucked. And I'm, I'm really curious because the end of episode three, they previewed episode four. And that was when Undertaker had his match with Goldberg. And that was another train wreck of a disaster. Yeah, I'm, Undertaker almost got spiked on his head because of Goldberg. Yep, I'm going to get into that more next week, but... Yeah, that might have been one of the worst matches I think I've ever seen. I hate to say that for two icons of the wrestling industry, even how personally, if I feel I don't like Goldberg still icon, you have to respect what he did, but that match was a train wreck. And, and for, as Bonsa said, um, Kane is a mayor. He went into politics. So that's right. The man that you saw that was all about fire and intensity and death and all that stuff. And tag team partner with the guy who was about death is a mayor an actual mayor in Tennessee. <laughs> so just put that into perspective for a second, people. So the last thing I, I'm going to go over – Oh, Can I say something real quick? Yeah, sure. One thing I like about Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and uh, Kane, Triple H is not known for this, but Undertaker, Triple H – or Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and Kane, one thing that, I, that they, I get a lot of respect from them is that they put other people over a lot. They are willing to put other people over. Triple H is not known for that. People know him as the guy burying people. But even then, he put some people over. But, man, remember Shawn Michaels' rivalry with Randy Orton back in, like, 2007? Every pay-per-view match, Randy Orton won. Yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. Like, Shawn kept putting him over. Survivor Series 2005, Shawn put Randy over. Shawn put Chris Jericho over several times. Like, Undertaker puts many people over. He put Roman Reigns over. Like yeah. he he Kane Kane always looks deadly, but how many times does he end up putting someone else over? It happens yeah, he a takes lot. The pinball too. So yes, like those three, like they are they are incredible performers, but they are also okay with putting other people over. Right, and I love that a lot about them. Triple H, I feel like he was. I mean, look at his reign of terror. It was a disaster. He didn't put anybody over. Uh, I think him not putting Randy Orton over in 2004 after Orton won the championship was a complete disaster. But, you know, he eventually put Batista over and that changed the era of WWE. But those other three wrestlers, man, they put other people over a lot. And I just respect them a lot for that, along with their incredible performance. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, just so you, people know, um, Michaels wasn't always had the best reputation back then. So I think it's important to recognize that 
it seems like he really did change for the better with how many people he decided to put over. Because back then, all about himself, all about oh, his yeah. reputation, not a nice guy. People, wrestlers infamously called him one of the worst people to ever be around. So well, Yeah, because Undertaker in episode three said he did not like Shawn Michaels outside the ring, but he loved Shawn Michaels in the ring because he could perform so well. But even he said when Shawn changed, like he changed a lot. Yes. Don't call Steve Austin has said it. Triple, like everyone says it. And it shows. It does show. So I would like, before we go into your favorite topic of NASCAR and that being back in the rain that had to do with it, um, I just want to address something a little bit more serious for a second because I, I, it's important too. And so this week it was reported that Stardom Wrestling's, and it's like a rea- reality wrestling show, Hanu Kimura, who was 22 years old, passed away. And the, it was reported that she took her own life due to social media backlash. And I want to address this head on because I am sick of people like taking social media as a gateway to diss other people. It shouldn't make you feel good. One, two, it wrestling. The whole point of wrestling is to put on a product for other people. And as a fan, you should be grateful for that, that they're doing that for you and they're sacrificing their time and life to do that for you. But the fact remains, if you're going to go on social media and still give the wrestler that much grief to where it affects her that much, for her to take her own life. I, I can't believe it. It's insensible. It's illogical. It's egregious. I've used that word so much, but it just really blows me away how people still don't get it, man. And especially in a time like right now where we all need to be together on the same page as one. So I need to address this. I want people to stop. I can't control that personally. I just want this to stop. I want us to be better as a society when it comes to social media because it's a double-edged sword. It's good for building and branding yourself but it's not good for being able to hide behind a phone and say whatever you need, feel like you can say, and know that you can get away with it securely. So stinks. I'm my condolences to her family. She was only 22 years old. And the fact mm-hmm. remains that she was putting on a product for fans and fans didn't really see or appreciate that and cause this is mind blowing to me. And I, I can't believe it. So that's as much as I want to say about that. I don't want to give it too much more light, but now we will move on to Mr. Bonsa's favorite topic. And that, is NASCAR. That is right. Saddle your, saddle your horses, people. It's coming out of the stables. NASCAR is back. And they had about three or four races this week on days that they really weren't supposed to have them on because South Carolina weather decided, hey, this will be the perfect time to have some rainstorms. So I'm just going to outline the winners real quick. I'm going to give not Bonsa the time to explain the rules and more in-depth stuff. But here are the winners for this week. It was Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Chase Briscoe. We're going to talk about a little bit more in just a second. And Brad Keselowski won the major race in the Coca-Cola 600. So, first, Bonsa, we're going to discuss the weather and what you like and dislike about the new competition rules of NASCAR now that it's back and with no fans. I hate the weather. Yeah. I, I hate the weather. It's, um, go figure, a tropical storm comes in, and all of a sudden you have a storm system that's just decided, oh, NASCAR's racing here? I'm just going to stay stationary. So, that was super frustrating. Especially because that was a time where I felt like NASCAR could have gotten more exposure. But these rain delays kill it. It kills it a lot. Um, I think NASCAR has done a good job with what they have. I think the rules that they have, the social distancing, the masks and all that, I think it's a really good procedure that they have working. Especially since they can't really test everyone and they don't want to use up all the tests. They want to get, they want to have the tests for, you know, people who actually need it. So... I think they've done a really good job. Their first race was last Sunday at Darlington. Good race. I thought it was a good race. 
Um, you mentioned Chase Briscoe winning. Um, that was on uh, oh, that was on Thursday. So let me go to Wednesday. So Wednesday they had the second Cup race, first ever midweek race in like thirty something years. Crazy. Which I want to see midweek races. It's just a matter of can the TV ratings show that it works. Really good race. A lot of drama in that one because the most popular NASCAR driver, Chase Elliott, basically got dumped uh, by NASCAR's most hated driver, Kyle Busch, while battling for second spot. And Chase Elliott got spun towards the wall and slammed the wall and ended his race. Kyle Busch finished second. Chase Elliott finished way in the back. And that caused a lot of upset fans. And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad NASCAR's back because that's what I love about NASCAR is people yes. being pissed off. Yes. So that aspect was really good. Wednesday was a really good race too. I think it was better than Sunday's race, last Sunday's race. So two very good races to start off their, you know, their resurgence back in the public eye. Sunday's race drew decent ratings. Wednesday's did not. I mean, Wednesday got delayed by rain as well, but it wasn't as many people hoped for. It was okay at best. And then Thursday, you mentioned Chase Briscoe. Oh my gosh. I mean, you want to talk about the Cinderella heartthrob story? So I'll go real quick. For those who don't know, Chase Briscoe's, unfortunately, his wife, I I believe, had a miscarriage or I think. Okay. So I just want to make sure I get that right. That's really important. So his wife had a Mm -hmm. miscarriage. And out of all that, Chase Briscoe decides to get back in the car and race. And he ends up coming from behind and winning that race and all the emotions and the storytelling of that day made that such a beautiful moment, probably one of the most beautiful moments in sports I've seen in a long time. So congratulations to the Briscoe family. I'm really happy for them. They got that moment. Oh man. Uh, That was, it wasn't even like, yeah, the story about that, but the race itself, like Chase Briscoe's a young driver. This is the Xfinity series, which is like NASCAR's number two series. Um, so Chase Briscoe, young driver, not only did he win the race, he had to hold off Kyle Busch, who is one of the best drivers in NASCAR, period, right now. One of the best in NASCAR, period. He's one of the best. But that dude has so much talent. He wins a lot. So the laps are winding down, and Kyle Busch is right there, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, because you know the background story with Chase and his wife, and you really want Chase to win but you're worried because Kyle Busch has had the fastest car all day. He had to start, he had to come from the back after getting a speeding penalty in the pits and he was flying through the field. The caution came out, a bunch the field up and he's right there. And then coming off the last turn, coming to the white flag. So there's two laps to go. They're coming out the last corner and then they're taking the one to go. Chase Briscoe hits the wall. And because of that, Kyle Busch, gets to the inside of him and they're side by side for lead. Now you're thinking, Oh no, this is it. Kyle Busch has this one. That's it. But Chase, man, he did not let go. And they almost crashed in the first turn. It, like, it got really close. It did. Kyle, Busch, Kyle Busch got sideways and Chase hit the wall, but they both kept it straight. And then Kyle Busch had one more chance in the last two corners, but couldn't get up there. But Matt Weaver won the NASCAR journalist. I mean, he said it best. The emotional roller coaster that a lot of fans went through that day, like he said it best at first. He's like, he was shaking. I was shaking. Wow. I had never yelled that much in a NASCAR race since maybe Dale Jr. win the Daytona 500 in 2014. Like, oh my gosh. I was shaking. My heart was racing, dude, because I'm like, Chase, you got to win this. 
it's only fitting that you win this two days after you find out that your wife had a miscarriage. It's only fitting. And to, and then all of a sudden you go from, go Chase, you're pulling away to, oh no, he's catching up. Kyle Busch is catching up. Oh, Chase, you hit the wall. What the heck? And oh, Kyle Busch is inside. It's over. Oh, Chase is holding on. Go, go, go. One more turn, one more turn. And then just the most cathartic ending you could possibly have. I'm, there's a lot of dramatic stories that you have or dramatic finishes that sometimes are a little bit, uh, a little bit spoiled by the fact that the driver who won is not a popular driver. This is one of those dramatic finishes and dramatic stories that had a very happy ending. And I haven't had that type of feeling. Some people compared to when Dale Jr. won at Daytona 2001, first race at Daytona since his father was killed earlier that year, which was a very emotional race. So seeing Chase Briscoe win and all this, and then when he climbed out of the car, the emotions that were, he had those emotions in the car while racing. I don't know how you can do that and still race at the top level he was. Yeah. But to see him come out of the car with all those, I, I did not hold back the tears. It's, it was impossible. Yep. Like, if you weren't, if you did not like Chase Briscoe, you liked him then. And if you weren't a fan of him before, you were likely a fan of him then. Cause he's, a, he's a very classy guy, very nice guy. But to see him with that type of story and to overcome it and be so thankful despite of what all he went through, what a story. Like, what an incredible story with a, with a better ending. I, I, I want to say happy ending, but it's still a very tragic situation with them. For sure. And the way I think of it is, like, you know, it's hard to heal two days after that situation, but I hope this win helped them. So it was just an incredible race, an incredible finish, an incredible story. I loved it. For sure, man. For sure. And really quickly, because because I'm just worried about time constraints and stuff. Um, I just want to talk about how Kyle Busch, I'm going to go Pat McAfee style here. He's been the heater. He has been the heater for everything in NASCAR. Literally, the theme of this week should be Kyle Busch causes controversy because that's what he seems like he's done. He almost crashed with Chase Briscoe. And then once again, I think during the same race or a different race, I forget which, he believed to crash with chase elliott and one of my favorite moments ever makes me a chase elliott fan chase elliott decides hey you're getting the bird for me buddy okay? <laughs> i'm not taking any crap from you kyle bush and your m&ms all right so chase elliott become my favorite guy except for the next thing we'll talk about in just a couple minutes but for now what did you think about that the the, the flipping the bird yes oh loved it how can you hate that that's what you oh, need, yeah, course, you need right? that drama it's the most popular driver flipping off the bird against the most polarizing driver. That's the perfect situation. That's what you want. And yeah, Kyle Busch is a heel in some respects in NASCAR, but NASCAR needs him. NASCAR is boring without your drivers causing controversy. And he's really good at that. So people hate Kyle Busch and I'm like, good. We need drivers to hate. If there's no drivers to hate, then what's the point? Right. So that was, I loved it. And I loved even more that they didn't apologize for Chase Elliott's middle finger on TV. They did not apologize for it at all. So it's crazy how censorship has evolved since 2004. Because if that was back in 2004, he would have gotten fined for sure. Yeah, for sure. Especially with the wardrobe malfunction with Timberlake and Janet Jackson. But now that it's been 16 years, that's kind of relaxed a bit. So the fact that he, you know, gave the bird on cable TV, it wasn't network television, but still – that was a very faint that's a, that's a meme worthy picture and that's something that a lot of fans are going to resonate with with chase elliott so for sure man for sure it I made, made me like him even more and um you know what exactly yeah just um now speaking more about chase elliott you know yesterday i'm watching nascar in my basement around 12 a.m 
what I'm doing is I'm posting on my Snapchat story, Chase Elliott, the face of NASCAR, has this in the bag. Was he decided, nope, nope, nope. It was too good to be true. He decides to pit. His crew chief calls him into the rear. With two laps left, Brad Keselowski says, see you, sucker. He goes to ahead of the finish line on the unofficial lap in overtime and wins the Coca-Cola 600. Brad Keselowski, I'm sure that blew the wind out of everyone's sails, but what did you think, my NASCAR expert, Mr. Bonsai? Shock. Yeah. Absolute shock, and I made it known on Twitter. Like, and a lot of people were shocked. A lot of people were shocked because a similar situation happened in Las Vegas earlier this season with Ryan Blaney, another young driver. He was leading that race. The caution comes out with two laps to go. He decides to pit. Other people stay out, and he loses the race. And being in the lead is such a big advantage because of aerodynamics and such that I won't go in depth into because that's a very detailed thing to talk about. But, like, everyone thought he has to stay out. He's not going to pit, is he? And lo and behold, he did. I give him credit, though. He came back to finish third. That was very impressive that he came from 11 to third in the last two laps. But hmm, I thought he should have stayed out. And a lot of people thought he should have stayed out. And a lot of people were pissed off at his crew chief that he called him into the pits. So I feel bad for Chase, man. These last couple of races have just been horrible luck for him. Two races that he probably could have won, and they end up going away, one because of a crash and one because of a pit strategy call. So, yeah, man. Yeah, sure. and it makes it worse that Jimmy Johnson, who had a chance to win that race right. in his, his last year, not only does he finish second, he failed post-race inspection. So he got disqualified from finishing second. He got put in last place because of it. That's rare. Like, you never see Jimmy Johnson do He is, like, the standard bear of NASCAR. This is coming from a guy who basically only watches the Daytona 500 and does a little bit of American tradition with it. So watching the Daytona 500, seeing um, Jimmy Johnson usually win these big type of races, but to see him now haven't actually winning a race in over four years, yeah. it's crazy. It's insane to ha go from such at the top of your game to go to the absolute bottom of your game in that quick of a turnaround is crazy. He's gotten better, though. He's had a, a very good year, and I think he can win a race at this pace. He's, He's got race-winning cars, but – you just – you want him to – everyone, you hated him back in his prime because he won five straight championships. Even I got tired of that. Yep. But now it's just like, man, last Sunday at Darlington, he was leading. He tried to pass a slow car and wrecked himself. And when that happened, everyone was so bummed out. And, and then now last night, he finished his second good run, gets disqualified because his car failed post-race inspection. It's just like we want to see him win one more time. Before he retires. Yeah, so I would, you know what I'd love to last see, year. For sure. You know what I'd love to see, Bonsa? I would love to see Joey Logano at the same pace as Jimmy Johnson and Jimmy Johnson just blow right by him, open up his car, drink a beer right in front of Joey Logano and spit it in his face because that's how much I hate Joey Logano. He is such a crybaby, a whiner. I just had to mention that here. Joey Logano, I hope you never win another race. Connecticut I native. I hate it. I, he's, a, he's a Connecticut native. You know that? I do, but unfortunately, I didn't actually, but unfortunately now I know that, so stinks, stinks. Oh, Jesus, jo Joey Logano, I hope you don't want to race um, in any of the races that you're in for the future. So. I like him. I like him because he is hated. I like him because of that. I don't like him at all. That's the one guy I'd never want to see. Uh, so the last couple topics we're going to talk about here, I don't know how much you know of the NHL, but big news came out of them this week. They were kind of hibernating a little bit a little bitsy bit, and what did they decide to do? They decided the NHLPA approves 
a 24 return to play format for a potential playoffs. So it's further negotiations. Nothing is set in stone yet. They just approved to negotiate this even further. So what we're looking here to see is we're going to have the 24 top teams in the NHL play in the best, or at least the top four seeds are already in. They're guaranteed in. The top four seeds from each Western Eastern Conference. So the top four teams in the Eastern Conference are the Bruins, Lightning, Capitals, Flyers. And there are many Flyer fans I know. I'm not happy I had to say that. Um, on the Western Conference, Blues, yes, Avalanche, Golden Knights, and Dallas Stars. So those are the top four seeds from each conference. They would be automatically in. And then everyone else from uh, seeds, I believe, through five to 11 would each play a play in round and then you would have a bracket style there it reminds me of like an NHL video game it's pretty fun I love this so some of the matchups I'm seeing right here Bonsa that I'm really going to enjoy are the Penguins no I'm oh, sorry that that's not what I meant to say Oilers Blackhawks is going to be a match that it's just going to be so wild and frenzy like that I can't wait for it the Hurricanes Rangers. I'm an East Coast guy, and I want to see people react. I don't like the Rangers, so I'd love for the Hurricanes to win. No offense to you, Ranger fans. I just – you don't need to win this. Uh, you're going to consider it a successful season anyway. But, uh, you know, and then we're going to see the Flames, and we're going to see the Jets, I believe. That's the matchup I see on this bracket right here. And, yeah, so basically the, I like the inception of the idea because I just think we're not jipping the teams that were on the bubble. We're giving everyone a fair chance. What do you think? It's hard for me to have an opinion because I I haven't followed NHL much this year. I don't follow the regular season that much, especially now that I'm away from home. When I was in D.C., I watched it a lot with my family. Caps fan. Um, oh, right. So, yeah, screw the Flyers and the Rangers yep. and the Hurricanes. Anyways. Uh, I, I don't mind the Hurricanes, to be honest with you. I, like I did when we were in the same division. And Robert Nemo, Skyler, his son, oh. is the Quinnipiac. So. Yeah, okay. The bias is there, whatever. Yes, yes of course. No, so. but um, I get – I am never a fan of adding more teams into a playoff. I am not a fan of that. Never have been, never will. Because I like playoffs being very exclusive. And this is, a, this is a debate in the MLB as well because the MLB is trying to add more teams to their wild card system or whatever, and I hate it. So, but I get what you're saying that you don't want to, you know, you don't want the people who are on the bubble to be shafted. I get that. I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of complicated, but it, I, I guess it's a special case because the virus and stuff and that obviously they haven't completed their season yet. I mean, how no, far have, but. Their season is 82 games, and I don't think they're going to complete it if they're just going to go straight into the playoffs, which would make so much sense for me. And I just want to see a sport, man. I'm, I'm, I, I, no offense to you in NASCAR. I love watching NASCAR. I like watching UFC. But I want to see sports that I know a little bit more about because it's fun. I like to have fun. Yeah. I like to watch. I like to watch my friends. I like to do a little bit of the bubble American tradition style. So <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I, I really can't say I, I want to see it. I can't really hate it because it's such a different situation now. It is. If they expand the playoff field for regular seasons in the future, I would hate it because yeah, yeah. half the league should not be in the playoffs. It should be like a third of the league maybe. This is. Remember, but, there are 31 NHL teams, so this is like almost the entire league. It's over yeah. half. Yeah. So I'll give them a break this year, but if this is something that they do for the rest of their time, like, or like next year or the year before, I wouldn't like it. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. So just two last couple things we're going to touch on really quick and that the NHL announces, this is big to me, 
they're going to go into phase two. Basically, that means that players are going to be able to return to their facilities, but only in a group of six at a time to work out. And they will have on-ice sessions only for players. That's big, that they're allowing players to come back. And another good sign, and me, who is a long-life sportsman, he just wants to see some action on this TV screen besides watching Bar Rescue and Practical Jokers all the time. So that was really good. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, nothing, nothing's wrong with impractical jokers, okay? No. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page there. And the last thing, and this is really big because this has to do with our lives in college, the NCAA Division One Council voted to lift a moratorium. I never even heard of that word, but whatever. Um, on June 1st, which means athletes can return to campus for voluntary activities. So – a couple of the conferences already stated the SEC allows athletes to return to school on June 8th via school's discretion. Big 12 allows athletes to return starting June 15th. So what do you think this means for college football? Because I think it means that it looks like we might be seeing some college football, whether fans are in the stands or not. Depends on the sport. Okay. That's all I got to say. Cause football is one thing. Yeah. Cause football and basketball are two, the two most popular sports in college and in professional sports. But those are two of the most physical contact sports there is. Okay, hockey up there too. It's extremely physical hockey. Yeah, but in hockey, you have, you're basically covered. You're basically covered like from head to toe in hockey, um, except your face, which maybe they'll do something about that. I don't know if they'll put like some screen on their face or something like that. But when it comes to football, it's, it's, it's optimistic. Don't get me wrong. It's very optimistic. And they got to be careful. You got to be smart. Because if this backfires, the season's over. If, they, if it backfires and there's a spike in cases, the season's probably going to end. Or it's going to end. It's going to get canceled. But the thing I'm worried about is, one, this idea of a second wave possibly hitting. And, two, Football has padding and such, but, you know, you, sometimes people don't wear gloves. They have bare hands. Some of them, you have bare skin showing. And, obviously, you guys sweat a lot. Well, I say you guys. You're not a football player. But <laughs> football yeah, players – football team in our school, Bonsa. Come on. We know this. <laughs> like, football players sweat, so that's getting passed around. And then basketball, it's all – it's mainly bare skin. No sleeves, shorts. There's a lot of bare skin, a lot of contact yeah. that you make in basketball. So football, I think, can work. It can, but that also depends on how bad the virus gets. And testing. Yes, and testing. But even if the virus does improve, basketball is, I think, the one sport that's in the most trouble with this virus because there's a lot of hand-to-hand -hand contact. There's a lot of hand-to-shoulders. There's a lot of hand-checking. There's a lot of sweat. There's, there's droplets everywhere. You're, you're inhaling and exhaling at a rapid pace because you're beating your heartbeats at 160 per minute. So there's a lot of respiratory droplets coming out because you're exhaling through your mouth, not through your nose. You're too physically tired to breathe through your nose as fast as you need to compared to your mouth. So my question is, yes, football, I think, can get back to normal. I think this is a good, good thing to hear that they're starting to do this, and I'm glad they're taking it slow and being smart. But what's going to happen when wintertime comes? Because if the virus is back, What's going to happen to basketball? Because basketball is the most dangerous sport in terms of passing this coronavirus around, especially because they are indoors. Football has the, out, the advantage of being outdoors, unless you're in a dome. But <laughs> college football stadiums don't really have that. So, yeah, you're outside, and there's a 
better chance of playing in an outside sport than an inside sport because when you're inside, obviously all the stuff in the air gets stuffed inside that area. So I think we might see some football games. I think we will see some football games. Whether we'll see a full season, not quite confident about that. But basketball, I think, is in a lot of trouble because of all the con. You can't call a foul for con. Like, yeah, fouls get called a lot these days, but you're not going to put like a two foot limit in basketball. You're not going to be like, oh, you can't stand within two feet of this offensive player. Like, you just can't. That's not how that works. Like, there's going to be contact. So, basketball, I think, is in a lot of trouble. And it wouldn't surprise me if basketball might get canceled this upcoming uh, winter if the virus is still around. Yeah. Very long-winded answer, but... Yeah, exactly. But you pretty much said everything that someone of concern would have. I'm a little bit more positive. I hope this happens. Like I said, it's still just unsure. We're unsure where this goes, but the NCAA seems really gung-ho on trying to have a season. So, all right, that will do it for this week of the Wolf's Den episode two. Bonsa, thank you so much for joining me. I, I think I'm definitely going to have guests more often after this conversation. It was fantastic. So... Please be sure to follow me at JordanWolf26 and at the Wolfstem one on Twitter for the release of the second episode. Also, at JordanWolf26 on Instagram, at Peel6 on Snapchat. I'm going to get into why that is eventually, but we don't have a lot of time right now. Yes, Bonsa, it's pretty funny. Um, Bonsa, what is your social media stuff? Um, Twitter and Instagram, Bonsa underscore T, B-O-N-S-S-A underscore T on Twitter and face, or Twitter and Instagram. I don't have any other social media. I don't like Snapchat. Don't at me. That's just not my thing. <laughs> All right. You heard him. Don't at him, guys. So I just want to quickly thank again to the nurses for battling COVID-19 every single week going to the front lines, especially my cousin who was a nurse who had to go in those hospitals. I wish our country was better equipped. I wish we had a better way to handle this, but unfortunately we don't. And I just want to thank them from the bottom of my heart for continuing to do the things that they do. So that is it, guys. Please be sure to keep on giving this a chance. Check it out next week. So long. That is it. Episode two, Benito.